This is the Agile Business Athlete Show, a well-being podcast that shows you how to beat burnout and have more fun. In each episode, Leanne will be joined by special guests who will share their secrets of how they stay healthy and energized and the simple steps they take to prioritize good health. And if they can do it, so can you. And now over to your host, Leanne Spencer. So we've come to the end of series one. I hope you've enjoyed these episodes. We wanted to bring you a little something else as a bonus, if you like. So very recently, I recorded a podcast with Sherpani, with Nisha Pillay, uh, the BBC newsreader, who interviewed me after I'd done a keynote to a live conference. And we talk a bit about my background, which you will have known a little bit about by now. But we also get into what companies should be thinking about and where well-being will be positioned within companies in future. And uh, the essence of it is that I believe that well-being will be what underpins all the key decisions that companies make and those truly game-changing companies that really want to attract and retain the talent and be known as having a people-first culture will lead with well-being. And we touch on all of that in this upcoming episode. So we wanted to put this out to you as a bit of a bonus. Uh, Other than that, thank you very much for listening and I look forward to seeing you on series two. Welcome to this special edition of The Agenda. I've just moderated a live event looking at some of the key leadership decisions facing organizations as we enter another dark winter in the COVID pandemic. And we were all blown away by the keynote speaker we're about to hear from. My guest today has focused her immense energies and expertise on answering two big questions. How can super-stressed, time-pressed executives better support their own health and well-being and do the same for their employees and take them with them? Leanne Spencer is an award-winning entrepreneur. She's the founder of Body Shot Performance Limited, and she's created a program called the Agile Business Athlete. She's also a speaker in huge demand. So what is the connection between business well-being and personal well-being. Leanne, I hope you're going to tell us all about it. Welcome to the agenda. I will, and thank you. Now, 10 years ago or so, you yourself were a super-stressed, time-pressed executive, and then you pivoted your career Mm. into this area. How did that happen? Tell us about it. Well, like many of these things, it happened very, very slowly and then very quickly. Um, I'd had 17 odd years in the city working as an account director for various different market data companies. And to start with, I loved the the prestige, the excitement of it, the salary and all that kind of stuff. Um, But over a number of years, I just become quite disenfranchised of what I was doing. I looked very different. So I was dressing in quite an inauthentic way, you know, long hair, skirts, tights, heels. And, you know, you see me now, you're well entitled to laugh because it's very different. For those of you who can't see Leanne right now and are listening to us on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, Leanne is wearing a bright orange jumper, jeans and some very nice and comfortable looking trainers. Quite different from how I just described, yeah. Um, I also found out I was mixing with people that I didn't, you know, didn't match my values. Oh, I don't get out of bed if the deal's worth less than 50 grand and laughing because the BMW's parked outside and they've no idea how they drove it home. All of that kind of thing. And that's just a small subset, of course. But um, and I realised that I was spending a lot of my time looking at the, the clock in the bottom right hand corner of my PC, wishing days away, weeks away, months away. Life is short and precious. And I mean that in a very positive sense. And I felt like I was wasting it. 
I felt also like what I was doing is a bit like the myth of Sisyphus. You know, you roll the boulder up a hill and then it rolls back down again. You roll it back up, it rolls back down. And it came to a head when I went into a meeting on, I can tell you exactly when it was, the afternoon of Friday, 23rd of March in 2012. And I was expecting a big deal to be confirmed. I walk into the meeting and I take off my coat and I'm drinking my little vending machine coffee in that squishy brown cup. And I look at the client, Gustav, and he says to me, Leanne, I'm really sorry, but there's no deal. My client's pulled out. Therefore, my data was not required for a system that wasn't going to be built. And I knew then that, you know what, enough's enough. I'm two, three stone overweight, chronically abusing alcohol, drinking a bottle and a half of wine every single night for 10 years. Sometimes double that, sometimes in the morning, sometimes at lunch, always in the evening. And I'm burnt out. You know, I'm burnt out because I'm doing something that, that doesn't meet any of my values, that is not representative of who I am. I'm bored. I'm unfulfilled. So I took the train home, thought about it. So you could say the idea was sloshing around in my mind for the weekend, resigned on Sunday. It was accepted rather quickly on Monday morning. And by Friday, that was it. Blackberry back. Uh, pass. Uh, this laptop. is in the Blackberry days. Then. The Blackberry days. That does date me slightly. Yeah. Handed that was back. so quick. How were you able to make such a quick and such a bold decision? It was a quick bold decision. Ten years in the making. Uh-huh. Um, because you know it slowly was sort of uh, you know, disintegrating that, that aspect of my city career, and I knew I needed to do something completely different. Um, something that was predicated around health and well-being. Something that enabled me to, to get some, some treatment for alcohol abuse and then give that up. And I'm celebrating coming up a decade of sobriety next April. Um, but also do something that, that I was passionate about, that, that met my values, which I got much clearer on once I got myself out of the city as well. So, so I've got good experience of that kind of environment. Um, but I'm also now doing something that I'm incredibly interested in that allows me to live the type of life a lifestyle that I want to be living, which is that intersection of business and well-being. And what do business leaders make of this story that you tell? Do they connect with it or do they think, ah, oh, Leanne Spencer, she's way <laughs> out there. I have, no, I have no connection with that. No, I think they do in, in the main connect with it um, because a lot of the, the commonality is the type, the, the, the always on environment that I found myself in, for example, the, the lack of any cadence in the way in which that we're, we're living our professional lives and Cadence indeed our personal means? lives. Cadence is having some ebb and flow. And I, I talk about in my methodology, which I'm sure we'll come to, is the agile business athlete. But it's looking at athletes like Serena Williams, not Wimbledon fit all year round. She'll know when her Wimbledons are, the Wimbledon and other big tournaments and personal events like her daughter, the birth of her daughter and her daughter's significant events. They'll be her Wimbledons. So she'll predict when they are, prepare for those by really doubling down on key elements of her well-being, deliver on that event, and then take some time out to recover. And that is cadence. That's predict, prepare, perform, and then recover. For the that benefit is so of interesting, Leanne. And how can we all learn from that? Because we're not athletes mm. with a, f- a number of fixed championships in our programme that yep. we can see down the year. What's the relevance to us? Yeah, of course. So I think if a leader sits down and thinks, in the next three months, what are the big events that I need to be ready for? Now, in their personal life, that could be a house move. Um, in, their, in their professional lives, that could be an IPO, I guess, a significant event. It could be quarterly results. It could be a product launch. It could be a restructure. It could be a team, you know, a, a new hire coming in, perhaps. That would be a, a Wimbledon for someone like, you know, of, of that, that level. 
So are they prepared for that? You know, have they given a bit of created some space before that big event to double down on sleep, to maybe make sure there's a couple of things in there they're really looking forward to, fishing trip, golfing day, spa day, whatever it is, that just enables them to relax mentally and physically a little bit before they gear up for this big event. Because what I think many, many leaders are doing now is expecting themselves to be Wimbledon fit all year round. So there's no cadence. It's a flat line. It's a high line. It's a top line of high levels of performance with no opportunity to recover. And I just don't think that contributes That's fascinating. to longevity. So you have to be kind to yourself before and after yeah. the really big important moments yeah. in whatever it might be, business or personal life. Yeah. Fascinating. So, I mean, to give you an example, before today, so we're recording a podcast now and we've just... Uh, we just had a two-hour show, which we've been in the room for four or five hours to prepare for. Last night, um, did a light workout, had a massage, had someone come to the house and get into a massage, and that's available to everyone who's got a room and 70 quid. It's not super elite. Um, ate a meal, went upstairs, read for an hour and a half, light was off at 10 o'clock. And that's not, there's nothing revelatory about that. And people sort of, oh, my God, I never thought about it. Yeah, but just, I made sure I did that so that today I'm at my best, and the afternoon is very light. There's hardly anything in there. A couple of things I've got to do, just a deload. And that's just from doing a, you know, a 20 minute talk and then, and then a podcast. But you do need to get ready. And that's, I suppose, a micro example of what I'm talking about, rather than having things you're dashing straight into afterwards. And so if you're running a big organisation, how can you give yourself permission to do that? The business leaders you work with, do they struggle with that? Some do, but most actually... This is, you know, the cadence that I introduce from the Agile Business Athlete gives them permission in some respects. But also I'm, what I'm not talking about is when I say recovery, which I think is the key aspect of that methodology, I don't need to teach anyone how to perform, certainly not at leadership level. I could, they could probably school me on a thing or two about perform. But the recovery piece is, is, is key. But I'm not talking about even an hour of a massage. I'm talking about slithers of recovery that they can have throughout the day 60 seconds of breath work. Sometimes when people are, are a couple of minutes logging onto a Zoom call, I'll, I'll look out the window. I've got windows all around the side of the office and I'll gaze out the window and just drift off for two minutes. I'm still present. I'm not like, oh, oh, sorry. I'm, oh, hi. You know, I'm, I know when they come on what I'm, you know, I'm ready. But just allowing my mind to, to drift off looking out the window. Sometimes my dog comes to the office and I'll just gaze across at her. We may stare in each other's eyes. And when you look into a dog's eyes, there's a little diversion. For about 20 seconds or so, she gets a ton of oxytocin, but so do I, the bonding connection hormone. We get it, if we were to, have, to hug, even a stranger for 20 seconds, you both get oxytocin, although major caveat, don't do that, and definitely don't do that at the moment. But, you know, it's, it's little slithers of recovery, planning a trip, looking at some photos on the wall of a holiday you're looking forward to. That's recovery, as well as the deeper stuff, the massage, the holidays, the finishing early on a Friday and making sure you're not overscheduled at the weekend. There's, there's, there's levels of recovery as there is anything. So I think you're saying that even the most time-pressed, super-stressed executives can build in I moments of recovery that. or moments yep. of off time yep. in their days. Yeah. It's seeing it as, as little, as I say, slithers that can be can be put into the day, whether you're actually calendarizing those or whether you're just taking those little minutes to relax, to breathe. Um, breathing has an incredibly powerful effect on your physiology. It, it brings down blood pressure, it brings down resting heart rate. It can even, 
And I don't know the exact science about how long you'd need to be doing conscious deep breathing for, but it can take some of the cortisol out of the blood and it's cortisol that, that makes us feel stressed. It's actually very important, but at the right times. We want to manage it. You don't want a big flood of cortisol when you're about to open up an earnings call or make a presentation to the company. You want to be able to manage it then. So what you're talking about, what we've been discussing, are what individuals can do. Yes. To manage the stress in their life, to perform better, to recover and then move on to the next and big challenge. To have longevity as well. It's health span, not lifespan, isn't it? You know, well, I say, isn't it? It's not an obvious thing. You know, often we think about living a long life as a mark of success. But if you go to 96, but from 74 onwards, you've had to be assisted in just about every function or something we were talking about off camera, you know, dementia, you want to retain that cognitive prowess. You don't want that decline. Um, it's actually health span, put another way, energy span, not lifespan. I want to have the healthiest possible life for as long as possible. Um, to be as engaged and productive as possible. And in, yeah. So what are the learnings from that at an individual level to whole organisations? How can you create healthy organisations and healthy workforces um, bearing in mind some of these principles we've yeah. been discussing? Well, the, the big thing is culture, which, you know, if we were to sit here for hours, we couldn't get to the bottom. Well, every company has its own culture and you can put resources in place. You can have speakers come in and talk about this stuff, but the culture needs to support well-being. And I think game-changing companies will lead with well-being. It'll underpin all the major decisions they make. Um, but in terms of, of influencing a company, assuming there is that culture of well-being, the leaders are the place that I would start. The leaders need to embody um, a culture of well-being. Um, whether they're particularly sporty or they just have a few little things they do that keep them well, I think it needs to be role modelled by leaders. It's OK to take these little breaks. It's OK to do this. Look, this is what I do and it makes me feel mentally well and gives me good resilience. Resources throughout the company, um, training for managers to ensure that managers know what to spot when somebody's well-being might be slipping, when they're going from you know, stress, which is a very normal scenario for us to deal with as human beings, into chronic stress, which becomes OK if it's very intermittent. And as that moves towards burnout, which is obviously not OK and something that we need to reverse very quickly. So training, resources, role modelling are the three things that we can do. During the COVID pandemic, we've seen an epidemic of mental health problems mm. caused by stress and anxiety. Well, we are starting to see, I would argue. OK, maybe we're yeah. just at the beginning of a wave. Yeah. You're, the work you've done over the last 10 years, what can you take away from that so that we can deal better with the anxiety and the mental health crisis that we are now confronted with? Mm. <clears throat> I think in large part it does come back to introducing cadence to the way we do things. Um, I think we're going to need to recognise there's a lot of scar tissue, which is just another way of describing what, what you've, or, or, or titling what you've just described. Scar tissue from people coming back when they're having to leave dependence, you know, not wanting to come back into an office environment. It suited a lot of people. Equally, it hasn't suited a lot of people. So we're going to have a lot of scar tissue. I think being aware of that, being mindful of that, letting people work in their own way. Again, having resources and training to, to, to be able to spot who's not doing so well, particularly in a remote world. But just changing the cadence at which we... It comes back to that one word, really, cadence. Changing the cadence in which we do business. Um, it doesn't mean slowing down, selling less. It just means having, having more cadence so that we don't expect people to be at their very best. Because realistically, 
a rhetorical question, but in the last 12 months, have you been at your best every single day? I haven't. Nobody has. I haven't had huge highs and huge lows. But we can't expect there to be this, this flat line of top-level performance all the time. We have to recognise that, that we need more of an ebb and flow. So, since you asked me a personal question, I work on a project basis. So it's much easier to include cadence if you work in that way, because mm. a project has a beginning and an end. You can give yourself a bit of time off before you start the yeah. next project. Yeah. But what about employees who don't work on a project basis? Mm. How do they build cadence into their life? How do their managers, their line managers, help them to do that? Mm. So line managers, I'd start there, need to be trained to see this, this model. And what exactly it means, because I think sometimes when you open up those conversations, it's, uh, what, so am I supposed to let people go at three? Am I supposed to say no to that piece of work because it butts up against this piece of work? No, it doesn't. But it, it's, it's introducing, what, what I'm all about is small, in, almost imperceptibly small changes over time will make a big impact. Slithers of recovery throughout For instance, the day. So Sir Dave Brailsford has this model of the aggregation of marginal gains, which is just small little changes in the area of sleep, in the area of energy, in the area of mental well-being, for example, of resilience. Small changes, like a 1-2% shift in a behaviour. Not that much in and of itself. But if you make a small incremental shift in that behaviour and that behaviour and that behaviour brought together, it has a much greater impact um, so we're only talking about small little changes, perhaps. Put another way, it's the minimal effective dose. What's the smallest thing that you could bring into your day that has a positive impact, particularly when it's aggregated over time? But it's so easy that if I said to you, you know, Nisha, let's make some changes, what could you do? Well, I could definitely breathe for 60 seconds consciously. I hope you are breathing. Consciously and deliberately for 60 seconds every hour. And I could do that four times today. But is that going to make any difference? Tell you what, let's do it. Because it's so easy that you're absolutely convinced you can do it. Um, and then once that's bedded in, then perhaps look at something else. So, do you think that the COVID pandemic means that this way of thinking, that embedding well-being into the way in which organisations work, its moment has come? Yeah, I think its moment's definitely come. I mean, one thing I've noticed from a business perspective in the last 18 months, I've been saying that a while, 18 plus is that decisions around well-being firstly are being made and fruit bowl well-being, as I call it, with no disrespect to the fruit bowl, but it is not a well-being policy. It's not a strategy. It's fruit on a desk. Um, and even that's gone now because people aren't all in one place. That's a thing of the past. Decisions on well-being are being made and they're being made quickly. Um, and I think we, you know, we can definitely capitalise on that. But the time is now, um, not least that there's a shortage of labour um, there's a shortage of people available for work. Companies are going to need to compete at the senior level. I think corner offices, company cars and bonuses are no longer going to be such a draw. I think it's going to be about true remote working. It's going to be about the well-being strategy that a company has. Do they have a genuine lead with well-being policy or is this well-being wash? I think those companies will lose out on the talent. They'll, they won't be able to recruit it in. And they'll have difficulty keeping hold of people who've been there now and who come into the organisation. I think it's going to be imperative um, that companies really sit up and take, take notice of well-being. So do you think it should be a corporate value, well-being? Yes, it absolutely should be. You'd be surprised, though, how few companies have well-being as a stated value. I think that will change. I also think it should be a core competency. 
So and when somebody is recruited into a company, as well as questions about their suitability as an engineer and previous companies they've worked in and problem solving and all that, questions also about, tell me how you look after yourself. I and mean, you don't want to ask intrusive questions like, what's your diet like and, you know, your digestive health. I don't think, you know, that, that's for that individual. But questions about, you know, how, how do you value sleep? What do you do when you feel like stress is creeping into chronic stress? What do you do if you have sleep problems over time? I don't think it's unreasonable to ask questions in, in that area because as, a, as an employer, I, I think I should have a responsibility towards educating you on the importance of those first critical things, sleep, mental health, energy, and there are others as well. I don't think it's unreasonable that I should have an interest in that and provide you with resources and tools and so on. And as an individual, I think that's the three things that you should also be very interested in for yourself. So there's a kind of perfect 360 there. So well-being is a core competency. And then questions also of prospective candidate around how have you spotted signs of poor stress in your teams before? What have you done? You know, what, what more would you love to do if you had a free reign? That because managers should actually be assessed for these as part yeah. of can part you of Can you spot metrics? that in a team? Managing yeah. a team is looking after a group of people and having everyone pulling in the same direction when, when is needed whilst allowing diversity to flourish within the team, of course. But yeah, knowing when to, you know, what questions to ask, what to look for, the different presentations of burnout, because it can vary quite a bit and it can be subtle. On a slightly different point, as our conversation is drawing to a close, I know that you personally are a diversity role model. Mm. What do you get out of that? Why? So um, for the benefit of anyone who's not sure what that is, it's a charity. Um, and what we do is we go into schools and we either speak as role models or facilitate workshops to combat the effect of homophobic, biophobic and transphobic bullying. And I got involved with it because as someone who's in the queer community or the LGBT plus community, same thing, um, I wanted to get involved and do something in that area. And we still have an issue with the language that's used in schools and in other places as well. Um, so I wanted to get involved in that. And it's incredibly powerful. It's incredibly energising, but also very intense. You know, you're doing five back-to-back -back classes like a school day, talking to 30-plus kids. Um, so it sounds like you yourself get a lot I out get of a it. lot from it, yeah, as well as the ability to convey a message, which is just be kind to each other, be careful what language you use, be an ally. What know? would your message be then, not to school kids, but for every leader out there of a large organisation? Well, um, ultimately, it would be to consider... Two notions, that the idea of health span, not lifespan. So going as hard as you can for as long as you can is, is not going to give you that longevity of health span. But also that word again, cadence. Think about introducing some cadence. And it's, it's not a set of large changes. It's small changes that you could subtly weave into your lifestyle that would give you greater longevity, give you more energy so you can have a, you know, beat burnout and have more fun. That's essentially what, what my, my work is all about. And in you doing that, you will be role modelling that to the rest of the company. And the company itself will have more longevity as well. That's how you'll grow. That's how you'll thrive, particularly coming out of the pandemic. That's an inspirational message. And I myself am going to do the 60 seconds of breathing right away. First, though, let me say a big thank you, Leanne, for joining us on the agenda. Absolute pleasure. Thanks, Nisha. Want more? Take our Wellbeing at Work company scorecard and get a free personalised report full of actionable insights. Or if you're interested in finding out what your health IQ is, take our Health IQ scorecard. Links can be found in the show notes.
And finally, if you've enjoyed the show, please take a moment to share and subscribe on your preferred podcast platform. Thank you. Thank you.